0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis.
1: Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome in to Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I hope your weekend was quite lovely. Whether you partook in the international version of our game taking place across the globe or a little MLS or a little bit of both, the MLS was not the greatest. That's goes without saying it just wasn't wasn't the greatest. I don't know that that there TFC game delivered some drama clearly missing some big big players in that match big players missing across the league big players across MLS not there to help their teams. That was uh, that was not the best showing for MLS. And I wonder how many people have stories like producer Trevor told me this morning. He's got a buddy soccer fan. European probably more leaning towards that than, than towards MLS. Hasn't really given MLS a shot. Laid up this weekend for some reason. I don't even remember the reason. I don't really care about your friend, Trevor, but laid up for some reason this weekend. Decides to flip around and watch some MLS because, hey, you know what? I can't do anything else anyway. Well, let me give this league a shot. Whoops. Not the best showcase for MLS. And, and again, the issue of playing through the international break comes up. What can we do to help facilitate MLS getting out of the way of the international break so that the teams that are in this league that have actual talent can display that talent? Too many players gone. I don't even have the list in front of me, but I know it's a lot. And so many of those games taken taken down a notch by those absences. Just troubling stuff. Because, look, again, and I'm not the type of person who cares that much i like mls really doesn't bother me if you don't like mls but if i have a buddy of a friend of a, a a a relative who finally decides to give the league a chance and on that specific day or that specific weekend they're watching a bastardized version of my league that's gonna hurt me Can hit me right here i don't know that trevor really cared that much <laughs> At least it's better than Spurs, maybe. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, Spurs, <laughs> better soccer, more disappointing. <laughs> I don't know how you view that. It's all about your expectations. Big show for you today, our friend David Emoyal from Gianluca DiMarzio will join us to talk some Italian football, some Calcio. We'll talk about the national team. We'll talk about Avro Morata because that's all over my timeline right now. We'll talk about uh, Antonio Conte's leadership of the Italian national team as they have what has to be a disconcerting draw against Bulgaria this weekend in European qualifying. Paul Pogba's injury, how will that affect Juve, et cetera, et cetera. Also on this show, uh, very excited for this guest, uh, 1030, Thomas Rongen, head coach of the Tampa Bay Rowdies, former head coach of American Samoa, former head coach of the USU 20s, former head coach of DC United. Uh, former head co- I, t- the, guy's, the guy's resume is ridiculous. I love this here. Now, Wikipedia is Wikipedia, okay? And I, I admit that when I cite Wikipedia, I, I might be getting myself in trouble. But I just consider this list of teams managed by Thomas Rongen again, who joins us at ten thirty today. Pope John Paul II High School, Nova Southeastern University. These are assist- some of these are assistant jobs. Nova Southeastern University, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, South Plantation High School, Fort Lauderdale Strikers again. Nova Southeastern University again as man as head coach. I'm imagining Tampa Bay Mutiny. So this is a return to Tampa for Thomas. We'll talk to him about that. New England Revolution, DC United, USU 20s, Chivas US USA, USU 20s, American Samoa, TFC, Academy director, not a not a head coach or a, a coach of a team, but the academy director, and now head coach of the Tampa Bay Rowdies. And I want to get from Thomas a guy who has had who've got deep roots in, in American soccer development, getting those players ready to be professionals, I want to get from Thomas the difference between that job and what he's going to be doing now with the Rowdies and what he's done before as the head coach of a senior team. Imagine those are very different kind of roles that you take. Different kind of tasks that you have to take. Should be a good discussion. Uh, looking forward to that very much. Briefly, headlines. Not a whole lot coming out of this weekend, uh, at least not, uh, not not nothing overly fascinating. Again, a re- bunch of results from Europe in terms of European qualifiers, the MLS games, as we mentioned, and uh, a couple other things. You had, you did have Honduras overturning that deficit against French Guiana. Remember, they lost three one in French Guiana in the first leg of a playoff to get into the Gold Cup proper. Honduras won at home three nothing to overcome that deficit. That away goal, looming, looming large. Actually, no, that would mean four goals, so that's wrong. That math is terrible. Uh, but now they jo- join Group A, which is the United States group, for the Gold Cup. We always expected it to be Honduras. Uh, it took a weird turn, but it is back now on track with uh, Honduras into the Gold Cup. Your European qualifier scores, if you are at all interested. You have I- I Iceland beating Kazakhstan. A lot of these games sort of... It seemed like foregone conclusions on paper in some cases. Uh, a couple of surprises, as I mentioned, Italy and Bulgaria drawing is a surprise. Czech Republic and Latvia draw 1 1. Wales beats Israel on the road 3 0. That's a big win for Wales. Azerbaijan and Malta beats Malta 2 0. Croatia crushes Norway 5 1. The Netherlands and Turkey 1 1 not every, nothing's going great uh there in Holland for the Dutch we might be uh we might be addressing that situation down the line here on soccer morning uh in the not too distant future bosnia Herzegovina three nothing over andorra no surprise there Bel- Belgium rough shot over Cyprus five nothing I mentioned Bulgaria and Italy those are your Saturday matches you had you had England staking um making a big statement for nothing over Lithuania. I think England and look, the early stages of European qualifying are not really the toughest. If you look at these groups, if you go down this this list of stu- uh, of teams in these groups, you should be able to pick out the qualifiers from each one pretty quickly. But I think England's goal differential is plus 14. They've given up one goal. They're leading their group with maximum points. 5 wins from 5 matches. Slovenia, Switzerland, Lithuania, Estonia, and San Marino are in their group. So not the best competition. The Swiss, are, the Swiss are obviously not bad, but they've lost two matches already. The Slovenes, three wins, two losses. Same thing, nine points. So like I said, it's not the toughest situation, but it is impressive to see England with a plus 14 goal differential. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I didn't get to the MLS scores, but we'll do that later. We'll talk MLS after... Our guest today, when we come back, David Amoyal from John and Luca DiMaggio will talk Italian football with me. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. You're too loud.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
1: We turn now to the country that looks like a boot, Italy. Our friend David Amoyal from Gianluca DiMarzio on the line. Talks from Calcio. Hey, uh, David, how are you?
2: Great, great to be on the show, Jason. How are you? It's
1: great to have you back. Um, It it was an international uh, break, an international weekend. We've got European qualifiers, friendlies in the mix as, as well. So I think we obviously have to focus on the Italian national team. And I see this, I didn't get a chance to watch the game, David, but I see this scoreline, Italy too, Bulgaria too, and I'm I'm scratching my head a little bit. What's going on here?
2: Well, Italy, you know, struggles in general for me because of a lack of talent. Uh, they've also had a lot of injuries recently, uh, Mattesio, the Juve midfielder, you know, suffered on Friday when it first was reported as a season-ending injury because of a torn ACL. Then it turned out it was just a minor thing once Juve examined him. So there was a lot of drama surrounding the national team, which is, you know, pretty typical in Italy. But, you know, they had never lost to Bulgarian. They came pretty close on Saturday. Uh, they were actually, ironically, saved from Edda, the striker from Sampdoria, who was originally from Brazil. There was a lot of controversy in Italy, saying he shouldn't even be on the team, he's not really Italian, and then he's the one that saved them. So uh, it definitely was a poor performance uh, from Italy, but considering all the drama that was surrounding the team, it was almost to be expected.
1: Uh, it, th- those like, those issues of Italian identity are fascinating to me, David. I don't want to get off yeah. track here. You know, We've had those discussions before, a lot of them revolve around uh, Mario Balotelli, for example, yeah. and, and, and the like. And, and we know that this is a transitional period for the Italian national team. Coming out of the World Cup, there's a lot of talk about how we need a new program. We need to, yeah. to modernize. We need to catch up with the rest of Europe. And you imagine that Antonio Conte would be the guy to do that. It, it's, just not, it's just not clicking the way that you would expect.
2: Yeah, I think it's been his tenure so far, I would say, has been pretty disappointing. Now, you know, a lot of people would have pointed out that his biggest quality is really motivating players. And it's very hard to do when you're only coaching them once in a while. Um, I think, you know, the fact that they have some non-traditional Italians on the team, to me, the only reason that's happening is there's a big lack of talent. You know, you go back not even that long ago where Italy had to decide, okay, are we going to start Potti and Del Piero? Now the question is, are we going to start Graziano Peleschi immobile Simone Zaza, and Eder, You know, all the to those guys, but the drop-off is really serious. So I think, you know, the conversation of non-traditional Italians this really should be a bigger conversation of the lack of talent on uh, the Azzurri. But I think uh people expected probably a little bit more from Conte. You know, he tends to be usually the central story. And I think in a way the all the drama was around him on Friday because of the injury to Martizio. and it, it really kinda covered up the fact that there's the, the team just there isn't much buzz with the current team. So if he returns to Toronto to Juve Stadium tomorrow, it's gonna be very interesting to see the reaction he gets from from fans. But I think even the biggest Conte supporter would have to say that so far his time with Inter has been fairly disappointing.
1: Uh, you mentioned the reception that he might get there. I, I I saw this headline this morning. I didn't read in depth, but something about uh, death threats for Conte over the Marchesio injury. What's that about?
2: Well, yeah, he uh, sh- uh, he spoke to the uh, president of the Italian Federation, saying that he was very upset that he had to receive some death threats over. But injury and even, you know, John Elkin, who is one of the higher ups at Juve, he kind of runs the ad which controls. Juve was very critical of Conte, saying, you know, why are you training these guys so hard with the national team? To which Conte responded, You really didn't mind when I was doing that at Juve. So, you know, there's definitely some bad blood between Juve and Conte with the way he left. Um, you know, I think he wanted to leave at the end of last season. The club asked him to take a vacation, see if he changed his mind. But he had already, his mind was made up to leave. So I think the club, you know, is a little bit upset with him. Uh, I think in this case, they don't have the right to be. I mean, Martizio's injury happened as he was warming up for a training session. And I can't blame the coach for that. That could have just as easily happened if he'd been training for Juve and then the Italian national <laughs> team doctors really botched the diagnosis. So I don't know how we can uh, give that as a, as contest fault. So I think in this case, I'm going to stick up for him. I don't think he's really at fault. I think there's just a lot of drama with him returning to the, to the stadium where he made you great again. And I'm curious to see what type of reception he gets tomorrow.
1: Well, see, tomorrow is a friendly against England. And again, I mean, in, in yeah. order to the, the English are, are, uh, just dominating in their, in their group and European qualifying. Cool. And, and I don't know that there's a lot to be said about that considering the, the relative quality of the groups of the teams in their group. Yep. Uh, but this is, it's is not going to be an easy task for the Italians. And, and then you wonder if there's going to be too much put into this game. Of course, it's a friendly, but too much put into this game because of the result on the weekend.
3: Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think, you know, once again, you know, the story is going to be Conte, just like it was going into the Bulgaria match. And in a way, the players should be pretty happy all the focus is taken away from them. Um, you know, there are some other storylines that could have been fairly interesting. You know, Verasti, who was close to joining Juve in the past, is going to play in the stadium there. There's a striker, Simone Zaza, who's at the swallow. He's a player that Yuga has an option to buy. But, you know, you're barely hearing any of these stories because it's all about Conte. So, in a way, I think it's good for um, the Polos. You know, it's something we also see in the United States with sports. There's some coaches that like to take the pressure off their team by having all the attention focused on them. I don't know if Conte is doing this by design, but it's definitely working in that sense. So, it seems that now cooler heads are prevailing. They're expecting a pretty good reception for Conte at Juve Stadium. You know, keep in mind, this isn't the organized groups the you would trust who are mainly going to be there tomorrow. These were the tickets phone for the national team. But I think overall, he's going to get a pretty good reception. I think, you know, Juve fans, you can kind of distinguish. You can be very grateful for what Conte did for the club, which he clearly was the main reason he turned it around. And you can also be upset with the way he left. I don't think they're mutually exclusive concepts, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be grateful for everything he did for the club, they wouldn't be in such great shape right now in the Champions League without his work before. I think it's possible to deny that.
1: Uh, that's certainly uh, fair enough. Let me ask you um, about the the absence of a, of a large figure for the Italians right now. And, how, and let's let's just put this in context. The Italians have not lost a game in qualifying. They've drawn two, but they have yeah. not lost a game in qualifying. They they do sit solid, well. They do sit in second place, two points ahead of Norway for the automatic qualifying positions. Um Croatia's yeah. uh, uh, 2 points ahead. It, maybe the 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 goal differential maybe bothers you just a little bit plus four is good but not great uh, especially considering the competition uh, below uh, below Italy, Norway, yeah. Bulgaria. Uh, but the the lack of Andrea Pirlo in this team right now due to injury. How much of a mm-hmm. of a factor is that in the in the way that they play and how effective they are?
2: Well, I think it definitely makes uh, it definitely has a big impact too. They tried using Veratti in kind of the Piedlow role in front of the defense against Bulgaria. I thought he was a little bit hit or miss. He wasn't as great as many were expecting him to do. Also Marquisio's been out and Marquisio kinda of plays in that Piedlow role for Juve when Piedlo is out. So they've had a lot of turnover there. I think, too, you know, what really hurts Italy is the lack of strikers. I think they would love for Balotelli to kind of seize that role up front. He's clearly the most talented of the strikers there. And also Giuseppe Rossi, they really miss him. I feel like, you know, he's kind of been forgotten. And right now, you know, you remember all the controversies of been taking Italy and people were saying, oh, he might not even be able to play. But right now, he would clearly be better than who they have. So... I think Italy too has a lot of injuries right now. Um, I think it's friendly more than anything is to kind of bury the hatchet with Juve. Finally, Conte returns there and he can kind of move on a little bit. He's really in a tough spot as the national team takes because most Juve, fan, non juve fans in Italy despise Juve and they hold his Juve pass against them. And Juve fan, a lot of Juve fans are upset with the way he left. So he's kind of lost his base altogether. I think that's going to be the main storyline after that. I think, you know, the injured players will return and we can kind of judge Italy a little bit more.
1: It's interesting the way things turn around, as you mentioned, with Giuseppe Rossi and how uh, how much of an upgrade he might be for them right now. And as you said, not that long ago that you were wondering if he was ever even going to be able to break into the squad if healthy. Um, now he just yep. needs to, he needs to, he needs to get healthy. Uh, let's let's turn a little bit to Syria and, and specifically a couple of foreign players in the league who are obviously uh, subject of of major transfer rumors and uh, and are closely watched. And one of them is uh, Alvaro Morata, who has been brought up in our mm-hmm. in our Twitter feed. People want to know uh what you what you make of his season so far, and then obviously as uh, you know as is the the situation, every time we approach a summer, whether or not he's going to be on the move.
2: Well, I think he's been really sensational for Juve recently, especially he's been a difference maker in the Champions League. You, know, you go back to last summer, and right around the time Conte left, like Juve really had to make a big decision. Uh Would they increase their bid for Juan Iturde, who is the Argentine winner-striker who went to Roma, and Milan was also pursuing? Juve was very close to landing him. They had an agreement with him, but they got outbid by Roma, and Juve you know, had the decision to we increase our bid. Had they increased it, they would have signed him, but instead they decided to go get Murata from Real Madrid for a little bit cheaper, but the downside to that is Real Madrid has some buyback clauses to buy him in the summer of 2016, so uh, he'll almost certainly stay at Juve beyond this season. I think Juve would be very happy to keep him. There is a clause for him to join a club that's not Real Madrid, and that's around 80 million euros. But, you know, I mean, we've seen some outrageous transfer fees, but hard to imagine someone willing to pay that. So I think, you know, Juve is going to be able to keep him at least through next season. And then the question is, you know, what will Real Madrid want to do? And it's also up to Morata to decide what he wants. You know, it's not automatic. If he doesn't want to go back there, he doesn't have to. And by then, Pávez will be returning to Argentina, so Morata could kind of be the signature striker at Juve or go back to Real Madrid and be one of many. Mm-hmm. So that's really the balls in his sport for that. Uh, Juve and Real Madrid have also a great relationship. You know, there's also always Real Madrid's interest in Pogba, who could be, you know, somewhat part of that deal. So I think Juve, though, has to be very happy with the decision to, to get Morato over it. He's been sensational and a difference maker in the Champions League, which is really what Juve was looking for. And that's another thing Conte deserves credit for. He was the one that really wanted to bring Morata to Juve, and although he didn't get uh, reap the rewards, he definitely helped the club by pushing to sign him.
1: Yeah, the uh, Morata um, uh, scoring for Spain in a win over Ukraine. Yeah. in qualifiers this weekend, and as you said, you know the the goal for Juve isn't just to go another win, win another Scudetto. We know they can do that. That's clear. Yeah. It's it's that Champions League campaign. That's the uh, that's the edge that a guy like like Tevez is supposed to bring, and Morata is a is, yeah. a is a good foil for him.
2: Absolutely, and they sure have delivered. Tevez has been sensational in the Champions League. You know, now they have to face Monaco, who I wouldn't underestimate. I mean, i a lot of Arsenal fans were thrilled that they got Monaco in the draw, so it's not an automatic. For Yuba, but I think they have to be happy. It could have been a lot worse. And then say they make it to the semifinals, you know, maybe Paul fucking returns return for that. And then anything can happen. You know, at that point, there's only 270 minutes left to win the whole thing. And I think if Cuba can get there, you know, I think they'll take their chances. And uh, it's just great for their pedigree. You know, I have to say it's great to see even a lot of analysts in the U.K. praising Juve saying that's the team no team would want to face. So I think they have to be very happy with how the season went so far.
1: Speaking of Pogba and his injury, what is, uh, is your understanding of the prognosis on how long he'll be out and whether or not he can be back to fitness and form by the time Juventus needs him for a Champions League uh, tie?
2: Yeah. Well, when the injury happened, it was the match against Dortmund, you know, about 10 days ago. Um, that, they said two months. So, I mean, the guess is she probably wouldn't be back until potentially the Champions League final. Uh, now, you never know, you know, with muscular injuries, he's young. He doesn't have a track record of having these. But right now, the prognosis is she won't be back at least till late April. So, Juve would most likely have to make uh, the Champions League final him to return. But at the end, but the flip side to that is as great as Pogba has been in Serie yeah, he hasn't been a huge difference maker in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. In a way, I would have almost said that losing Martizio, who's such a key player, maybe not as flashy as Pogba, would have been really devastating to Juve. Losing both, I think, would have made even eliminating Monaco challenging. So I think Juve has to think feel pretty good about their chances of getting past least this.
1: Well, I imagine that David, that, that that's part of what is separating Syria from uh, from the bigger leagues in Europe, and especially in this competition, is is yeah, you got a Marquisio and you got a Pogba. What do you have behind them?
2: Yeah. Well, I think you know Juve, in the, in the sense they have tried to increase their depth. They've really been decimated by injuries, and now they brought in. Evra, who allowed them to move Asamoah to the midfield, but he's been hurt and he's out almost the whole season. They brought in a right winger, Romulo, from Verona, who was really, really good for that last season. He's been out all season; he's barely played at all. And then they've had Pietilä's injury as well, and then Pogba and then easier. So I think Juve, you know, did pretty well with having that. But when you have so many injuries, I think even Bigger clubs with more money would have had a hard time struggling
1: uh, to get past it. All right, so uh, give me your expert opinion, David, on, on how this uh, friendly between Italy and, and England goes tomorrow. Uh, you may be more interested in, in the reception that Antonio Conte gets yeah. at Juventus Stadium. But what's, uh, what, for, the, for the national team, and then uh, again, what do you expect from, from England who, I don't know that anybody is overwhelmed by what they've got, but they continue to score goals and, and play very well.
3: Yeah, I, I
2: would say usually I keep my expectations very low for Italy and friendlies. It's something they don't tend to really value that much. But I think because of coming off the disappointing match against Bulgaria, I'm sure Kong is going to want to go off well and run uh, once he returns in England. You know, definitely uh, uh, an opponent with a big pedigree. But actually, I'm cautiously optimistic for Juve doing well. I'm sure too, there are some players that have been linked to Juve who will potentially be playing for Italy tomorrow, Vasquez, Zaza, even potentially better off. So I actually think it's should be a good match. I think Italy is going to give a better effort than we usually see. In but as you said, England has been playing well. Because they're such an easy group, maybe they don't get the credit they deserve either.
1: David, MYL, Gianluca, com, coming on to talk Italian football update on the national team. Excellent stuff as always, David. I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. And as always, I appreciate how much you promote Italian football. Thanks again.
1: Good stuff from David. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Thomas Rongan, head coach of the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
1: Here we go back on Soccer Morning, and I'm joined now on the telephone by the head coach of the Tampa Bay Rowdies of the North American Soccer League, Mr. Thomas Rongan. Hi, Thomas. How are you?
4: Fine, Jason. How are you doing?
1: I am well. It's uh, the dawn of a new season in in Tampa. You're the head coach uh, of the Rowdies heading into 2015, and I just had to ask you, before we get into to what you expect out of the season, what the goals are for the Rowdies in the NESL, what, what's the transition back to a senior team management job like?
4: Um, it has been actually a very, very smooth transition, to be real honest with you. And that's really predicated by my experiences in American Samoa and, and quite frankly, my previous experience before that. But American Samoa taught me again to, Appreciate and love the game. So when you go in with good energy, uh, with positive thinking, which I which I really didn't do for a long time, Jason, when I was in MLS, especially in in the later years, where you're driven by fear of failure and and when the losses really hit you so much harder than the wins, uh, this has been a real welcome uh, change, so to speak. And one, as I said again, that I've uh, I've met on head-on because the fact that I'm, I'm can't wait to get in the field with uh, with the guys and teach again that's that's really what i love to do
1: were you was there um was there any hesitance on your part to take this job did you actively seek this job how did this all come together um
4: i my relationship with the current president goes all the way back which is for recreation 96 when we had a very good year with the Tampa bay mutiny in mls and i moved on to boston and and moved moved on to uh, to other things as well, uh, you know, from a from a business standpoint, non soccer related. And uh, this would be a, a great marriage, as he said. You know, we were successful in '96. I think we can duplicate what we had. Uh, we can do something similar in terms of fan base. Uh, as you know, we are playing in St. Petersburg in a beautiful stadium. Our, our owner Bill Edwards is committed towards the sport. Uh, Renovated the stadium with three million dollars, and then continues to uh, to really believe in in uh, the direction that both Farouk and I set uh, out for this team to play a good brand of football, to connect with the community and the fans again, uh, and and hopefully relive some of those old days of the NASL in particular uh, with uh, with the rallies.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it should be a, it should be an interesting year in the NASL, and and I and I have to. To ask you from a, um, a coaching perspective, how I mean you obviously identified your relationship with Rook as a reason to to join the rowdies, but I mean when you you've coached other teams before where I imagine that your relationship with the president or the chairman or the the owner has not always been as as smooth as that how how much does that impact? what you do day-to-day, how you feel about your job day-to-day when maybe you don't have an ally in the front office. Yeah, I
4: mean, it also played a very large role in my decision to, uh, to, to come here. When you get a little older, which, which I am, but, but still somebody with uh, a lot of coaching years left in me, especially the way I feel right now physically and mentally, it becomes also important, Jason, to surround yourself with a, good people, people you respect, People that work hard, people that share the same vision, and people that have you back as well, which don't always happen in, in, in the world of football, or any, any professional sport. So, it's great to be surrounded by Perry Vanderbeck as well, you know, a former player that understands, that, that has great roots, just like Farouk in, in the Rowdy's, and they care about this, this product. Uh, and when I met with Bill Edwards, I was convinced that this was the right place to go. I could have gone to MLS. I've got, uh, potentially three or four interviews there as well, but, uh, it wasn't a, a case of MLS versus NESL versus USL. I wanted to be in a situation my age where I would be able to do what what I think I can do and, and, and have people support me. Mm.
1: In in terms of what you um what you know about the NASL, and I know you're a guy with your eye on everything and, and then the way that these rosters are, are built and and maybe some of the differences from MLS, we know MLS has a lot of rules, but uh, clearly they're spending more money on their uh, on their uh, on their teams than most NASL teams. What, what kind of differences are there? What kind of talent do you see in the group that you have for this season?
4: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one, Jason. I think uh, eventually when you meet an MLS team in the uh, in the Open Cup, uh, it maybe gives you a better indication of where you stand. Uh, we beat Philadelphia in preseason, but that's just preseason, so uh, I don't put a lot of stock into that. But uh, when I saw that, that Curtin put pretty much his starting eleven on the field, uh, uh, and we measured up quite well, um, you know, that gives you a little bit of indication. Yes, there is a difference, absolutely, between between both. But uh, I, I think that we're going to play a brand of football with uh, a spine and axis with with experience. Be it Matt Pickens, uh, uh be it uh, Stefan Antoniewicz, who played a few years already in the NSL be it uh, Marcelo Saragoza, be it Georgie. Uh, here's stuff from Bulgaria that was the NESL player of the year two years ago, uh, be it my con, uh, all guys with MLS experience and then surrounded with uh, with some younger players. I think we have a, uh, a pretty good core group uh, that can do well in the NESL and maybe even beyond.
1: Uh, I, uh, speaking of younger players, um, he's 23 now, so I'm not sure that everybody would consider him a young player <laughs> anymore, but Gale Agbasamande Ak- is on your roster uh, uh, Thomas, and and he's a he's a guy that I've been fascinated with for many years. Not not just because of his talent, which is obvious, uh, but because of the 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 path he's had to take and some of the things that have happened in his career. What kind of player can can Gale be at this point? Again, he's 23. It's it's not over for him by any stretch. But I but I I'm sure a lot of people have been a little disappointed to see him not uh, reach the heights we had uh, picked out for him.
4: Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons that he's, that he's here. Uh, just like you, Jason, uh, there's tremendous potential, but at 23, uh, sooner or later, you gotta, you, you gotta make an impact. Um, yes, he had trials and tribulations, came through the brain team program at IMG, uh, 17, so played for the under 17, uh, uh, team in the World Cup, played for the under 20 team for me when he was fairly young, uh, gets a start against uh, South Africa for the senior national team and, um, then all of a sudden he starts trialing in Europe, uh, almost gets used a little bit, unfortunately, and has some really bad experiences there. Comes back to MLS. Does quite well in Toronto, but gets traded to, uh, to Colorado. Now he's here really his last chance. I think Jason. he's done well in preseason, but he needs to continue to grow and become, uh, become even, even, even better. So, um, you know, uh, he's somebody I'm very fond of, and is close to his uh, family. Uh, that's not the reason why he's here, because I can, I think that he still has an opportunity if he does well from here to get to MLS and eventually see him in the national team, and that's what I what I want for him.
1: Uh, you said, as, as you said, you, you know him from your previous coaching experience with the USU 20s, and, and as a guy that has been involved in in some of the the younger levels and and uh, TFC and the academy directorship and everything else. In terms of the development of of players, and again, I, I sort of asked you about the transition back to being a, a head coach. And American Samoa certainly counts for that. But this is, you know, this is a club situation. Uh, when you lo- when you look at that that transition from maybe being more of a teacher, even more so than than you would be with this team, is that something you have to change mentally, or is is it the same appro- approach for you?
4: And it's, it's not the same approach, Jason, but there's very really some, some principles that, that apply even for a 33 year old. You know, I, I think every player still can get better. I do get better each and every day, uh, in, in sessions as well. I get pushed by my assistant coaches. Uh, I still do a lot of reading and, and try to stay up to date with modern modern practices, be it tactically, be it systematically, or be it uh, from a, a methodology standpoint. Uh, so I feel that players, if they have an open mind, which actually this group does, uh, you can teach, uh, you know, a lot, which we do in pre-season. And then when we get close to season, in-season, it's more about managing players and, uh, you know, making sure that uh, the mentality is, is, is right, and especially taking care of 12 through, you know, 24 that don't play, that might not travel, and because they have such an important impact on uh on the whole team as, 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 as a whole from a psychological standpoint, they can either take a team down or they can t- continue to come to training each and every day and push those starters. And one of the reasons why I think Bruce Arena and DC United was so successful because the AJ Woods of the world uh, didn't always uh, start, continue to come back and, 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 and work their butts off, so to speak. Bruce just has a unique ability to push the right buttons, uh, from his starters, but also towards his non-starters
1: the the situation at the american youth levels now thomas um the they're you know we're all keeping an eye on this and not just because we no. want to see the next generation of talent and and as we did when you were in charge of the u20s uh, we all remember vividly that that 2007 u20 world cup we want to we want to see these guys perform we want to see the win and we want to see the, pr- the program take these steps forward that maybe jurgen klinsman has said it, it it would when when you look at it from the outside um, do you are you able to sort of identify maybe what's what's going right and what's going wrong, or do you have any particular opinions on the way that it's being uh, run at this point in terms of maybe a top-down well, it's, strategy?
4: It's it's really tough to uh, to say. I mean, I I, I do go to break each occasion. I see seven teams. Uh, obviously tap Ramos, who was my assistant coach in Guatemala, has become the head coach of the of the twenties. Uh, I think there's good people in, in in place there. I think our environment still is not, uh, is not great. I mean, we all know that IMG is artificial, uh, product. And if you look at uh, how this team played, you shake your head a little bit, uh, you know, getting through to the World Cup uh, after the last time they didn't get to the World Cup on PKs. And as, as I said again, there's no indication of what Richard Williams can do as a coach. I think it's, it's really uh, down to, uh, the development in younger ages, which is still far from perfect and, mm. and not even close to what is in the rest of the world, and I think on on the highest level, I'm not so sure if Jurgen Klinsmann is the right uh, the right person for uh, for the job. Uh, quite frankly, uh, yes, was a great player. Yes, it's a sexy sexy choice, but uh, I don't think if I look at the 202 team they almost went to the final for Bruce Arena, uh, and I look at the team now, I, I don't see uh, huge progression. And I see a team with, with elective identity that play in different systems. Uh, uh, I, I'm not so sure if, if as I said again, I, I see the progress. We see a lot of dual citizens players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, there's a lot of things that uh, that remain uh, somewhat uh, question, questionable. Saying that, though, I, I think it all comes down still to our... Real non-soccer environment in this uh, this in
1: this country. I certainly can see that. And you mentioned that the 2002 team under Arena, and, and I don't want to paint with broad brushes here, Thomas. <laughs> there are a lot of factors that go into why that team was successful. Maybe why things have not gone, you know, have gotten that much better since then. I, I would I would say that it seems as though we're producing more players of a reasonable quality, but maybe we're not producing the top end players. Or if you want to look at it this way, and maybe as a coach, you can speak to this. There certainly seem to be a focus and a uh, an identity to that 2002 team under Bruce Arena that maybe we're not getting now.
4: Yeah, that's 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 correct. Uh, if you read things, there's a little bit of a disconnect, I think, between players and 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 coaches, uh, uh, which never is never a good a uh, good thing, obviously. Um, uh, as I said again, you know, the American coach knows the American player real well, uh, and that's why one of the reasons I think Bob Bradley and, and Bruce Arena were were successful. They they know what this uh, what makes those players tick, and I think that's very very important in this in this country, understanding the culture, not the soccer culture, but uh, the culture outside of the game. Most of the guys are educated; they attend to college, so it's just a different animal than uh, players that come through Bayern Munich or Bruchmann, she or Tottenham Hotspur, where where I said, again, the landscape is so much different, and I'm not sure if. Uh, uh, if the coaching staff, currently with Kirk Cousins, Herzog, and and Klinsmann, can really really identify and, and 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 understand what makes the American player tick,
1: mm. uh, let me turn back to your experience with American Samoa just for a second. You mentioned that it kind of uh, reinvigorated you, brought back a, a love of the game. What was it about that that job? I mean, it, it, it certainly seems you know we we can slap labels like like purity and stuff like that on it, Thomas. But I imagine that it from from a, just a day to day perspective, it had to be. Significantly different than anything you'd done in a long time. What What did that mean for you?
4: Well, it meant what I what I set out to do. I wanted something totally different than your mainstream. You know, coached four MLS teams. Uh, I've been through the U.S. soccer setup. I went to a World Cup in France with uh, Steve Sampson in '98. Uh, uh, took three teams to another twenty uh, World Cup. Uh, so I, I I wanted something different on a different continent and. When this, uh, situation appeared through Sunil Gallari who had a, uh, uh, brief talk with uh, the president of American Samoa, and, and they asked you US if, uh, there was somebody maybe that could come over and, and help them because they, uh, they were obviously disarray. Their team was 31 and nothing last in FIFA rankings, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to do something, as I said again, uh, that also I'd never done before from a pure football standpoint was a head coach of a, Team that was trying to qualify for the World Cup, so that to me was also significant. But uh, I made the right choices; I really did. I had to coach my my butt off each and every day and try to make those players better uh, technically, which we did. But you know that's hard to do in a month. Uh, tactically, we we, we we got a semblance of an organization, and I tapped into uh, uh, their personalities as as players. Uh, they're strong. Uh, we made them very fit, uh, they're very coachable and believe in, in leaders. They almost follow, follow leaders blindly. So, you know, I, I figured out real early that if I set out a technical plan that they would ex, try to execute it, which they did. Um, from an emotional standpoint, that was a hard one because you had a lot of stars there. Uh, we had the same goalkeeper that gave up 31 goals against Australia and try to convince them that they actually could win a game and could score a goal. Uh, was probably my, my hardest, uh, hardest job, but, but when I looked in their eyes before that game against Tonga, the one that we won, uh, 2-1, I firmly believed at that time that this team did believe when I, when they looked at me that they could win a game, which was a, an incredible transformation from the first day I came there and, and stated correctly that this was the worst level of football I'd ever seen.
1: Uh, let's uh, let's look ahead. I mean, I only got you for a couple more minutes, Thomas. Uh, you got the the San Antonio Scorpions on the road to open up your spring season as Rowdy's manager. What do you uh, what do you see in the Scorpions and particularly that environment, which is uh, one of the better ones in NASL?
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously you, you, off the back we're playing the previous champion, uh, the champion two years ago, Edmonton. After that, the Cosmos. Uh, we're starting out against uh, you know, some of the better teams, but. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure yet, Steve, where we're we at. We've had some, you know, good success. I think we're eighth, 2 and 2 in preseason. We went to Portugal, played their sporting and uh, sporting. We just played Jacksonville and uh, um, and Edmonton. looks uh, like we both won those two games. But again, it's preseason. You know, don't put a lot of stock into that. I know the Scorpions try to play. I think they're, I know they're physical. They got, uh, uh, two attacking fullbacks that are very good. So we gotta make sure that we, uh, we make them defend in long stretches. We actually have some juice ourselves out wide. We'll play out of a 4-3-3. Three, three. We're, we're gonna play somewhat similar to home. We're, we're trying to attack. We're trying to be dominant. We're trying to be a technical and a possession-oriented team. Um, uh, I'm, I'm at a good understanding probably of the level of NESL, but still trying to figure it out. So. Uh, w- w- we'll see what kind of changes I have to make at halftime after I finally figure out how good or bad uh, the Scorpions are. Well,
1: well wherever you all think your team is and where you think the Scorpions are, <clears throat> do, you, do you get the sense that NESL is is pretty wide open um, this season? Yeah,
4: I, I, I think so. There's, there's three or four teams, including our team, that, that spend uh, more money than, than other teams. Minnesota's obviously in that group. Uh, the Scorpions are in that group so to a certain extent. We are in that group. The Cosmos in that group. So uh but, you know, last year for Lurie, that was far from a surprise you know, all the way to the to the finals and lost against the Scorpion. So uh, I think it's wide open. Uh, you got eleven uh, I think very competitive teams. Uh you play on the road with five teams on an artificial turf, uh something I'm not so sure about uh how we would fare uh there, you know, that's that's different than grass obviously, but we'll we'll have to deal with it and uh, we'll keep an open mind and we expect to be uh, a team that eventually uh, will end up in the playoffs.
1: Thomas Rongan, head coach of the Tampa Bay Rowdies uh, joining us talking many many things. Thomas, I appreciate it. It's always a good discussion. Hopefully we can talk to you uh, later on in the season and see how things are going down in Tampa.
4: Thanks Jason, take care.
1: Uh, there goes Thomas Rongan. good stuff from him. Let's take a break when we come back. The phone lines will be open 347-756-6276. Seven, seven, six, six, Jump in. With anything you got, we'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
1: Back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines open 347-756-6276. 7, 7, 6, 6, Soccer Monday in America. Rob's on the line. What's up, Rob?
5: Hey, I just wanted to talk about uh, something that uh, Stephen Goss has been reporting on today. The, the fiasco out of FedEx Field this weekend uh, they couldn't manage to play the right answer for El Salvador yeah and then it seems like uh, the uh, ushers took the night off or they didn't they didn't hire enough ushers I, I don't know what the deal is but it's interesting to me just because you know FedEx Field usually tends to get the big games that come to the DC area and I wonder if this will you know affect you know if it's selected you know in, in the future
1: uh, it, um, was, so wait Rob was there crowd trouble because I actually did not catch up on that.
5: Yeah, um, if you if you check out the uh, you know the, the, the golf uh, Twitter feed, uh, apparently you know there was there was a lot of confusion. People were just sitting wherever they felt like it. Wow. You know, uh, you you pay a premium, you know, to get some of the choice seats, and you know, people were having difficulty even getting to their seats just because um, you know there was no crowd control. Apparently, well, I mean, I imagine
1: uh, I imagine the operations team in place to take care of that game was the FedEx Field slash uh, Washington Football Club. Uh, operations team? Um, that
5: I don't know. I don't know if they contracted that to somebody I, else, but I, you know, I doubt it. <laughs> uh They just seem like a lot of dissatisfied customers. You know, uh. you're dropping forty bucks for parking, uh, and then you can't even get to your seat. Uh, you know, personally, um, you know, my last match there was a uh, Man United uh, versus Barcelona friendly a couple of years ago, and I, I said, "That's it, I'm done." Yeah. So uh, um, you know, it's just interesting because that's the one that usually gets you know, like if it's going to get like a Copa uh, America, you know, spot. Um, you know, it's not going to it's not going to host a gold cup match this year. I, I know that, but right. uh, they're going to be up in Baltimore. But, uh, yeah, I, uh,
1: I don't know that. Uh, you know, obviously RFK has been in the rotation mostly because it's relatively cheap to operate and can hold a lot of people.
5: I don't know what it's, it's, gonna, it's very convenient to get to. Yeah, there's the
1: convenience, right? Is that absolutely a factor? And and now if you have FedEx kind of botching things, and I don't, I mean, I don't like that place. I hate that place. To be honest with you, I'm sure a lot of people are with me on that. I, really? I, it it's, it's troubling that they played the I mean, I feel so bad for those. It's not just the players. There is anybody who who's from DC knows there are lots of Salvadorians around here. Absolutely. And they cannot have been happy. And I haven't actually watched the video cause it makes me cringe. And I don't really want to right. be embarrassed for, for them. Um, I don't know, Rob, it's interesting to consider. Appreciate the phone call. Make anything else.
5: Uh, no, just uh, you know, good win for DC United. I was there, uh, watched uh, Chris Pontius score one in the dying seconds, and yeah, uh, you know, even though uh, you know you got to take it with a grain of salt because Keane and uh, Zardes were on international duty, it was nice to see uh, DC United get the three points any way they could.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it was a big win for DC United over LA Galaxy, and I, I'm interested to see how uh, Bruce already continues to try to tinker with that midfield and give Juninho uh, a, a partner that can actually give him some support there. Four six nine, you're on the air.
0: Hey, Jason. This is Nelly in Dallas. What's up, man? I wanted to talk about International Day and MLS playing games on International Day.
1: Yes, yes. What would do you know, like to say you, about it? Do, do you, you
0: think uh, this weekend MLS was pretty mediocre?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Hundred percent.
0: A lot of a lot of teams lost their international players. LA Galaxy could have used Robbie Keane. FC Dallas could have used West Paris. Sounders could have used uh, Dempsey. I, mean, I was watching the. Dallas, Seattle, oh, the absolutely biggest.
1: the the fact that Al- right. the, the fact that FC Dallas and the Seattle Sounders played ninety minutes of soccer and did not put one shot on goal tells you all you need to know about those international Toronto, absences. Toronto, Toronto
0: could have used Salvador. Oh, that, Do you think this is going to show the league? Hey, uh, let's take a break with everybody else.
1: No no
0: I don't think it's important
1: I don't think that the way that these games went down this particular weekend is going to prove you know do, make it make the league do anything and I'm going to re- reference uh, my my colleague Doug McIntyre from ESPN FC who was having a conversation this morning on Twitter about this very, very about this very thing the only way this changes the only way MLS decides that they can justify taking the international break with everybody else is if a teams are not able to actually put together 11 players because Orlando suited up 15 players this weekend. That's a little close for comfort. Or B, the owners start losing money or don't make as much money on their Saturday dates during the window. So if you're a fan and this really bothers you and you think, okay, you know we need to get this fixed, MLS needs pressure, don't go to those Saturday games. Stop going to Saturday games on international dates. Just stop going. That's the only oh, yeah. the only way you're going to make the owners do anything is if you affect their bottom line.
0: Yeah, that's 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 what I saw. I would have loved to see them seeing, you know, the full team play. It didn't happen, but you know, as the league keeps growing and and the league wants to attract more international players, this is gonna keep happening. Yeah. If international players come and play here, they're gonna leave those weekends and we we gotta take a break. I don't know. Let's come up with uh, some friendly games for the teams, but yeah. making it. I mean, last night I thought Toronto. They could have used Altidore. They could have used Bradley. Clearly, just, you know, you clearly can meet those guys. You just need those guys. And it, look, it, it's, it's not come out at the end where you don't make the, the
1: playoffs. It's it's obvious that it's obvious that Arisdel didn't play that great, and yeah, they didn't have Savarillo, but come on. TFC yeah. had every TFC had every opportunity to win that game, and they were missing Aldor, and they were missing Bradley, and they didn't, they, you know, they obviously needed those, uh, they obviously could have used those players, and maybe those were the players that put them over the top. I mean, that Jovinko so was uh, frustrated out yeah, there. I,
0: I, I hope that, in, you know, in the future, it, once the league keeps going, that they take the example of, hey, let's, let's take a break. I mean, I don't know any other league that plays, I think the league of McKees does sometimes, but. Some I, I, I want to
1: say I want to say Brazil does it fairly regularly. I mean, obviously we're talking about significantly different cultures. I mean, when in Brazil you play through because hey, guess what? It's done. It's not that big of a deal. Whatever. We might be losing some internationals, but come on. We, yeah, we, we, but gotta, in
0: Brazil, Brazil right now they playing state championships. No, I realize that because because,
1: because they have because like they have s- such an incredibly cr- crazy schedule down in Brazil with the state championships and the the cup tournaments and everything else. And as Trevor says, no one's showing up. So that's that's something to consider as well. They're playing the games, but no one's showing up. The the culture here, I appreciate the phone call, man. The culture here is more about the money and the fact that there, there's only so much money that MLS is drawing out of the game. And 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 you know it's easy for us to sit here, especially in light of those CBA negotiations, and assume that the owners are just swimming in cash. These guys are rich guys; they already have their fortunes. But when it comes to this particular element, this business. They're not swimming in cash in, in relative terms. So they only, they're only able to draw a certain amount of money out of the game anyway. And they are loath to give up that crucial Saturday date where they can get 20,000 people in the door. Or I guess, wh- where was the worst attendance? Somebody had 12,000 this weekend. It was just, a, it just looked terrible. Colorado, was anybody, Oh, Chicago, nobody was in Chicago. Is that just because they're bad or because it was an international weekend? I don't understand. Well, go. I'd go out to watch Harry Ship because it's in Bridgeview, and I don't know. Phone lines are open, 347-756-6276. 7, 7, 6, 6, you can also hit us up on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. Uh, we can continue to talk about this. I mean, we we, we kind of led up to the weekend talking about the international break, and now we come out of the break, and these games were just disappointing, and now we're all talking about those, those games and talking about those games and the international break and the impact they had on them. But you also had injuries as a major part of this weekend as well. Mauro Diaz didn't play for Dallas because of injury. David Villa didn't play for New York because of injury. There were several other places where players were crucial players were missing due to injury as well as those international absences. You have big wins for New York on the road in Columbus 2-1. Now, it took a penalty and an absolute disastrous uh, pass out of the back, a gift for Mike Grella in order for New York to win that game. But they did win that game on the road. You had Orlando coming back after going down 2-0 against Montreal. Kaka, woo! And Pedro Ribeiro is one to watch. I, I don't know a lot about that kid. honestly don't know, don't remember him from his time. He was in Philadelphia, right? Is it, am I getting this, his name right? Let me see if I can make sure that I've <laughs> I'm doing a lot of this off the top of my head. But Kaka is clearly going to make, uh, make Orlando go. And they scored. Uh, they scored. Uh, he scored a very nice goal for the uh, Jack McInerney with a. I guess uh, is there anybody in the league pulling that off? Agudelo, sometimes. Jack McInerney with a, an incredible goal for Montreal, that uh, they uh, helped them stake that to that two nothing lead. They have to be disappointed that they lo- that they lost that lead. And again, Orlando suited up fifteen players. It is Pedro Ribeiro. See, I had that right. Shane says, I think it was super cold in Chicago. 23-mile winds and 40 degrees. Okay, that's a good point. The weather has an impact, clearly. I think the weather had had an impact in uh, New England as well. So I'm not sure how many people went out to that game for New England. But it wasn't a great crowd. And even then, again, the owners are still, they still don't want to give up those Saturday dates. And as it's and as it is it continues to evolve here we have this we have that that battle between the business side of it the soccer side of it you you have a part of the calendar meaning it's still chilly in most of the country or at least in the northeast it's chilly and and the owners can't be making that much money, and yet it's still it's still more valuable to them to play that game. People are rightly pointing out: MLS had bye weeks for play for teams la- last week. They're going to have bye weeks for teams next week. Zero bye weeks this week. Everybody played on the international weekend. Now, again, I think the logic there is: well, if we're going to if we're going to handicap some teams, then we might as well handicap all the teams. I, I'm assuming that's the logic. But again, the, in terms of the integrity of the competition, MLS, takes, MLS hurts itself when it does stuff like this. When it does stuff like this in light of some of the other elements on the calendar, when they have to play an All-Star game. Is the All-Star game that important that we need to play through an international break when 57 players are missing? Is it? Do we need to build in those dates for teams to play friendlies? Are those that important? Again, it's about money. It's about getting, and, and you have, as a, as a fan, you have to accept on some level that the owners need to get something out of this. Otherwise, why are they going to even bother? Then we don't have a league. I guess, but it still sucks and it's still painful. 347 756 6276. It is Monday. I'm watching comments from Jurgen Klinsmann come across my Twitter feed. Doug McIntyre, Kyle McCarthy um, are with the team as they prepare to play Switzerland tomorrow. Klinsmann says the three goals the U.S. conceded in Denmark came down to, quote-unquote, a lack of concentration. That's it? it wasn't about communication. It wasn't about organization. It was a lack of concentration. It's convenient. David, you're on the air. Jason, how are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm okay.
3: You know, I, I'm just calling in now. I have not listened to the show to this point, so you've covered this. My apologies. But I just want to talk about two things. First of all, well, those two MLS games on Sunday, and then the TV coverage in general. So I, I'm sorry to be a hater. I'm not a Euro snob. I don't have anything against MLS. But that that was some bad, bad soccer on Sunday. I mean, we're talking second, third division quality. I mean, American second, third division quality. I was stunned at just
1: the lack of basics and fundamentals that I saw out there. It was, it, it was, wow, well, oh, was come on. to say the least. Come on, it's not dist- disturbing, really disturbing. Let's not get hyperbolic here. Was it good soccer? I don't think anybody's claiming it was good soccer. But let's not, let's not make it out to be a, uh, the apocalypse for MLS because they had a bad weekend.
3: Well, I, you know I, what I'm saying. What's bothering me, and I, look, I, I never was a professional. I have been a coach. You know, I have played the high school soccer. You know, so I know a little bit about the game. But what just bothers me is that when I see things repeated multiple times, like defenders just making basic mistakes, and then the and then the forward gets the ball. But doesn't have the skill to take advantage of the mistake. It, it gets it gets uh, just well, it blows okay. my mind after a while. All right, but, but you know, So so you watch in consecutive in consecutive games. You watch in consecutive games. Wow.
1: Okay. You watched. Game. We look. We knew Chicago Philadelphia was not going to be a good game. We already knew that those were two struggling teams. Now I think Chicago actually showed something. And and Harry Ship is somebody I will always. I don't care if he is playing with the worst players in the world. I will watch Harry Ship play soccer because I think he's that fun to watch. Yeah, and, he and, was the exception. And when you have RSL in Toronto, you had a you had a, uh, a you had some bad officiating. You had some mistakes certainly. Um, I, I, I mean, those two games, RSL in Toronto actually delivered a bit of drama because Toronto manages to get a goal back, and then RSL goes down and scores, and Javier Morales puts an inch-perfect cross on the head of the kid, whose name I forget, Jordan Allen, to get a goal. That, that's still fun, whether or not you, you know, again, the, yeah, we can recognize that the quality is not up to par, and and maybe it's a matter of, of building into the season. I don't know. I mean, I think everybody can recognize that The, the quality of this so far this year hasn't been very good, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean it won't be good, say, a month from now. Yeah.
3: Well, I'll say real quickly, and I don't want to get into it at this point, but I think expansion has a lot to do with this, number one. Now, I will say also, during that first game, there was one brief, brilliant moment, and that was Harry Schiff got into the penalty area and did this... It was like Lionel Messi. I swear to God, I saw it. I said, my God, that's like Messi, They're right-footed. He did this like juke and got beyond the guy and then did like this 90-degree turn and created two feet of space for himself and did it. It had a brilliant cross, but unfortunately the guy who got the ball doesn't know how to finish like the guy <laughs> Lionel Messi took those plays passing to. But anyway, so that was killing. That was cool. yeah, uh, just real quickly on the television coverage, Jason, I've been waiting a little while to say this, but Fox Sports 1, I think, is significantly better than ESPN. The camera angles are better. They, they, they seem to have a better understanding of, of presenting the game in a way where it's, it just looks more legitimate and more professional. And I think that you see things in better detail on the Fox uh, Sports 1 coverage than ESPN.
1: Okay, fair enough. It's your assessment. I appreciate the phone call, David. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, Brandon asking for some love for Sporting Kansas City, their first win of the season on the road, obviously against, uh, New York City FC, Ico Parra with the, uh, w- with the header off the long throw in from Matt Beasler. And I, you know, <laughs> we've seen the long throw be a weapon. I mean, obviously, uh, DeLapp made it famous over in England and we've got Matt Beasler here who's been doing it for a couple of years in MLS. I always feel like those goals are kind of dirty. Like they just don't feel right. Like, it's just not, it's not, I I don't know. I mean, I've obviously you want to see run-of-play goals. I don't have anything against set-piece goals. And I guess technically that counts, but I, I just, it feels less valid, I suppose. I <laughs> know that's a terrible way to think about it. Every goal counts the same. But doesn't a, doesn't a goal off of a long throw-in kind of feel dirty a little bit? I don't, I, Sporty Kansas City fans won't care at all. Sporty Kansas City fans won't. We we'll won't want to denigrate that goal because, hey, first win of the year on the road in New York against a team without David Villa. But still, they won that game. Benny Fellhauer played fantastic soccer. Ecuapara is my uh, one of my picks for the All Star game. I don't know why. Just I had to pick a I had to pick a surprise inclusion, and I saw some people with some pretty some some inclusions that did not wouldn't be that big of a surprise on uh, the list at ESPN FC. I picked Michael Para. I think it's a little bit, be a little bit more of a surprise, considering how long it took him to get to San Jose and the injuries and coming back, getting a, a, a uh, starting position established in, in, in Kansas City. A railing call in leaves, and now it's Michael Par. He's the man next to Matt Beasler. Excited for his season. And he can obviously have, he can jump and he can head a ball in. Stokey, says Trevor. Yes, it's very Stokish. I think Stokish is better than Stoky. It feels Stoke-tastic. Feels like old Stoke. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. You got a couple minutes left here on a Monday to jump on in, talk about uh, anything that you saw this weekend or things you're looking forward to. Obviously, the United States taking taking on Switzerland tomorrow. What do we want to see out of the U.S. tomorrow? I, I would like to see. Some mental resolve, meaning, hey, let's not uh, go up a goal and then give up uh, the hat trick to, to you know to Nicholas Bentner. Let's just not do that. Some men- so some mental resolve. I know you have six you have six substitutions. You're changing out a lot of your team. Maybe it's difficult to hold on to that momentum that you have built up, or 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 maybe it's difficult to have guys come on the field and immediately lock in. But let's just show some mental resolve. And yeah, I'd like to see some younger, some some new faces get some significant time. Nine one seven, you're on the air.
5: Hey, what's up, Jason? It's Washington.
1: Hey, Washington. Hey, um, listen, I have a question for you. A of uh, things
6: I've been seeing on Twitter about the, the field at Yankee Stadium uh, being uh, there are a lot of people complaining that it's smaller than it should be. Somebody posted on Twitter when uh, when the last U- European friendly that happened there. You saw you didn't see the, the the pitchers mound, but with the MLS games, with the NYCFC games, you do see the pitchers mound. So that's proof that the that the field is shorter. My question is: Is there a MLS police or some type of inspector that expects the field to make sure the measurements are right before games, or how does this work?
1: I, you know, that's a good question. I would imagine. I mean, every other sporting event I've ever uh, experience the uh, the lead the head referee is responsible for that stuff um, it's his job to make sure that uh, that the field dimensions are correct that the lines are straight that the goals are on the that, you know the goals are on the line and they're correctly placed uh, to, you know any measurements of the goal that need to be taken I mean I think most people would take that for granted but every now and then some coach gets it in his head that the goal is either smaller or larger than it should be that's I I would imagine it's his responsibility and look the FIFA guidelines or are, are the the laws of the game allow for some pretty wide range of sizes, Washington. So I don't know. When people say it's smaller than it should be, what do they mean? They mean that it's smaller?
6: Well, the, the thing is, I think the FIFA minimum is 110 yards by 70 yards. Yes. And they're saying that it's smaller than that. Uh, the, the complaints I've seen on Twitter is that uh, that field is smaller than one ten by seventy. Well, somebody and,
1: somebody is eventually going to find that out, and then they have a problem at NYCFC. <laughs> and look, I, you know, I I don't know what would happen. Um, I mean, well, I think
6: I honestly don't think they
1: have a problem because I do think if that's the case, if the
6: picture hasn't been photoshopped because because I did take a look at the picture and I took a look at the other games and they were right. The mound is there during NYCFC games. But wasn't there the last time, I think, that uh, Real Madrid played there. So, you know, that that wait, might wait, wait, like do you, come Wa- into
1: play. Washington, when you say this, okay, so, well, obviously, like, the mound's got to be there. The Yankees are playing. Uh, right. You know, they're getting ready for their season. So, they're going to need that. They're going to need the mound. Now, there are some places, right. I don't know if they do this at the new Yankee Stadium, there's some places where the mound can be raised and lowered, but that's, that's still a process and still requires... I imagine a ton of effort on the part of the ground crew to switch it back and forth. They may not want to, uh, you know, they're not going to take the mound down. I, I, I mean, the, there may be some uh, technological answer to this. I, I don't know. Anyway,
6: there's way too much way, way too much work to take that mound down and put Especially once once the baseball season comes into play. That, that's I don't see that happening. But hey, and here's the selfish part of me. That's one more piece of fuel for us getting all own stadium. So <laughs> There you go.
1: Well, again, I mean, they're going to uh, – if nothing else, City Football Group is going to want to get out of there just to get rid of the controversy. Washington, I appreciate the time, man. Take care. Exactly. There goes. Washington up in New York, uh, NYCFC fan. Uh, it, they're going to want to get out of there. They're not going to want to stick around at Yankee Stadium any longer than they have to. They don't want to deal with the back and forth, and we don't even know how bad it might get. Considering we're not in into the baseball season yet, and we don't know how much the Yankees are going to really complain once the crap starts hitting the fan, and and you've got a Yankee, you know, like a Yankee homestand followed by a New York City FC game followed by another Yankee game. These things are going to come to a head, and that's that's the reason. For city football group to find a stadium solution in the city not because oh look our state our field is too small or uh, we can't get rid of the mound or the sight lines aren't exactly right no it's because you're not you just don't want to deal with that that nonsense anymore and they're going to want to control obviously all of the day game day income and, and the like and if if you put a this is why it's frustrating for me. This is why NYCFC is frustrating to me. I get what MLS did, and I'm very much looking forward to N- uh, NYCFC New York Red Bulls. That's going to be fan-friggin-tastic. Uh, but what's frustrating is that if you put NYC in their own building, I don't really care if it's 20000 25000 30 whatever. You put them in their own building somewhere within the five boroughs of New York, that, um, that immediately becomes one of the more glamorous spots in MLS. You have a great stadium across the river there in Jersey to count as a balance. You've got obviously the Galaxy who bring glitz and glamour because of their locale and their and the, their history of signings. You got the Sounders and their forty thousand. Add New York City FC to that. There's other there's other places. I'm not denigrating anybody else. All right, uh, let's. Um, uh, Coleman's jumping in here. He says it's sixty eight by one o six, according to Peter Vermes, who measured it himself. Did he? Did he measure it with tools, or did he walk it? So walking it is always a little less accurate. But if it, it look, if that field is sixty eight by one hundred six, I'm not one to make a big deal out of some minutia. But this isn't minutia. This is the playing surface. This is the most important thing you you have when it comes to to putting the game uh, to playing the game. You have to have the the dimensions right, or you have to have the field right. The surface has to be good. We've dealt with that in MLS, but if the, if the if the size is not like two yards, find two yards somewhere in terms of width. Find four yards somewhere in terms of of length, because you can't be playing less than FIFA guidelines. It just can't happen. All right, please go to backhill.com uh, slash store to buy yourself a Soccer Morning mug. I think those are flying off the shelves, and I saw another uh, another one of our listeners repping uh, Soccer Morning out and about in the soccer world with the soccer morning t-shirt, which you can get at three nil fc.com. Our friend Benjamin owl candle on Twitter was at the Dallas cup in, uh, at the cotton bowl in Dallas and repping soccer morning. Thank you very much, Benjamin. I appreciate it. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Thanks again to our guest, David Amoyal, Thomas Rongen. we'll be back tomorrow with a big Tuesday episode of the program. Go to iTunes, rate and review and do all that good stuff. And, Make sure you check out World Soccer Talk. We'll see you guys later.